Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. Welcome, everybody, again to Insight LA's uh, Long Beach Sunday Sit. Uh, my name is Casey. Um, we're going to be chatting today. I think the title is The Resilient Empath. Um, and I stole the tagline um, from my buddy Scott Tusa, who was teaching with last week, and he said, we want to break the heart open without breaking down. So I thought that was a really good way to put it. First, maybe talking about what, what is an empath and, and what, is, what is being empathic. Um, Yeah. Thank you. Tell me again too, if I, if, if need be. <laughs> I'm so shy. What's that? I'm so shy. Right. Right. Exactly. Um, so, in in a general in a general sense, um, uh, being an empath is being highly sensitive to the point where you feel what other people are feeling. Um, and it's on a very, very tangible level. So there's something also called an, an HSP, which is a highly sensitive person. So a highly sensitive person, and usually these, uh, these aspects a, an empath will have as well, of uh, being highly sensitive. Uh, it could be sensitive to light, sensitive to tactile sensations, um, sensitive to smells, sensitive to... Uh, you know, environments and, and to, um, yeah, all sorts of things. And I think with the, the empath, it's sensitive uh, to other people's, it goes down to the energetic level, like the subtle bodies, uh, to people's energies themselves. And I find that many people who come to the spiritual path um, carry this sensitivity. Um, how many people feel like they have empathic sensitivities like in this, in this room? Yeah. Um, and so with an, with an empath, one of the major things is it bec you become so sensitive that you cannot tell what's yours and we're going to talk about this, and what is somebody else's, what you're just feeling in the room. So I'm what I call myself a recovering empath. <laughs> um, and I didn't know what it was. I just knew, man, I was really kind of thrown off in certain situations. And, and I also noticed some people were not. Um, but this really affected my resiliency because I was very, you know, like I said, thrown off. Um, one just small example is I remember coming home one day with my buddy and we're standing in his living room and his wife was in the kitchen and I could feel into her in the kitchen and she was pissed. <laughs> she, was not, she was not happy. And I also got a very clear feeling that it was his fault. It was my buddy's fault. 
And my buddy had no inclination, like there was no signs that he picked, were, was picking up on any of that. Um, and he went and had a conversation with her. And he came back. And it was like, still, nothing was wrong. But something was still very wrong. But for him, nothing was wrong. And we ended up going to the garage. We were working on stuff. And I asked him, I said, you know, she upset. He's like, oh, yeah, she gets like that sometimes. Like, no, no problem. I was like, man, that's a problem. But, <laughs> uh, but I honestly, and, and he wasn't, um, you know, he wasn't like numb. He wasn't, um, he was a good guy. He was a good husband. He was a good father and, and all that. Um, but I, I was like, wow, I, I, it was a part of me. I was like, I wish that it didn't affect me like that. In a way, but then as you know, as I've grown to to work with it more, I'm like, oh, thank goodness, you know, thank goodness that we have that 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 feeling tone because it, it is really hard because to to um, to have that. But then without that, what can what can in a very constructive way build out of that? Of course, is this amazing compassion, right? This, these sympathies, this compassion, this ability to feel can, can rise into that. And I think this is a really important aspect is this sensitivity is not good, and not good, not bad. And I think this is one of the first things that we need to look at. There's a few things I want to hit upon. One thing is that it's not personal. It's not personal. So sometimes when we, feel, when we feel this, like I was mentioning, we don't, we don't know what's ours and what's theirs. And wisdom, which will be kind of where we're going to end up here, the wisdom is, is that what's yours is not yours. This is, this is, a, this is an imputation. If we hear a sound outside... If you could hear, there's actually a plane. It's arising in awareness, but is it yours? So we wouldn't say that that sound is ours. It's arising at spontaneously as soon as I made note of it, unless you're already aware of it. Then you just made note of it, but there was no instance where you imputed an eye on top of that. It was just arising. So... When we an emotion arise, thoughts. Where do your thoughts come from? When do we make them ours? I was thinking. Really? <laughs> like, were you thinking? Like, were you, like when does that thought or your opinion or whatever it becomes ours? So there's this there's something that certain things that arise in our vast awareness. Certain things we impute the eye on to. Certain things we don't. And that imputation of the I is completely arbitrary on what we, yes? Mm -hmm. This is important because the closer that if something gets to the I, the more we suffer, right? So I could say, which would be, you'd think I'm crazy, but let's say go back to that example. I could walk into the kitchen to my friend's wife and say, you're making me feel really weird right now. (laughs) 
you know, because I'm attaching, I'm getting attacked. My eye is getting attacked. I'm not feeling well. You know, she'd be like, I don't. <laughs> but is important, however, is to know the direction in which it's coming from. And what I mean by that is if we could, if we could feel where it's coming from and like directionally, and this is very conceptual, it's really not from a direction, but in that case, let's say in that case, I could really feel this woman. And therefore, and the reason for that is so we could have compassion, so we know where to send our sympathies towards if somebody needs assistance. If we know the direction of it, then we know where to go with it, but not to take it personal, right? And so this is the next piece. The next piece is being constructive. So this sensitivity is very, very good, but it just depends on what we do with it. So the Bodhisattva vow, may I attain enlightenment for the benefit of all beings, and, and this really sincere desire to, to assist all beings. One of the problems in doing that is that we do not know how to do this skillfully with wisdom because we do not know the needs of somebody yet when we're sensitive then we could we're much better we have a, a better aptitude for doing that um i don't know if you if you're like me I've, I've seen this so many times like watching movies like um watching movies somebody's having a hard time and the other person's just kind of sitting there, and the other person right in front of them is having a hard time, and I'm yelling at the screen, hug them, <laughs> hug them, for Christ's sake. They need a hug, you know. Um, but it's kind of like that sometimes in my life. I'm, and maybe many of you have felt this, like you're, you're in a room or something like this, and somebody's going through a hard time, and you're like, God, I wish somebody close to them would, would be sensitive to take care of them, you know. And so what we do with it is really important. So as an empath, we're very good at the heart practices. But as we talk a lot here about is that uh, is about the two wings, the wisdom and compassion, right? And so what we need to to throttle up is the wisdom practices. Because we need to see clearly what is arising. We need to see the true nature, the truth of that. Right? So we need to see experientially impermanence, interdependence, and empty of inherent existence. And a lot of times we need to see this with our, the emotions themselves. Because we're living in... Um, with empathic we're living in in dualism so it's like this like the Dalai Lama let's just say we could pick any saint or any sage <clears throat> and I'm not putting any um, well I think you get the, t the tone of it so let's say that say the Dalai Lama he's in a room full of people 
and he walks, let's say he gives a talk and then he walks backstage and he says, oh man, there's so much negativity there. I'm feeling psychically attacked. <laughs> you know, I feel so many emotions and everything. Um, and I really need my space. I need, I need just to get away. Like you, you see how if he's obviously very sensitive, but he's not being attacked by that. He's not being attached by this. Because he's seen the wisdom of what is arising as perfect as it is. Right? So the ultimate truth of it, the true nature of the, of the thoughts, emotions, the feelings that we're feeling, it's all okay. It's no problem. But we're, we're, we, are, we, are, <clears throat> we are still seeing this in dualism, good and bad. Not the truth of it, of as it is. So we have to be able to see all of it. And it gets very paradoxical that there's all this suffering and the suffering is perfect as it is. If we can't hold both of those wisdoms, then we're not resilient anymore. Yeah? like Suzuki Roshi would say, you are perfect as you are, and you have much work to do. <laughs> it's like that. So it gets very paradoxical, is that, yeah, all of it that is arising, you know, cannot be anything other than perfect. And now, if we just kept with that wisdom, we'd turn into the nihilism, which would be the opposite of empath. If we just had the wisdom piece, everything's perfect as it is, then there's no compassion. But see, we're not, we're not just that. We're relative reality, right? Which is everything's perfect as it is, and if somebody's in trouble, you better help. Like everyone's enlightened Buddhas as they are. And yet, because of ignorance and delusion, because we cannot see our Buddha, Buddha nature, we better help. Yeah, so we help anyway. Even though we're all enlightened Buddhas, we need to help anyway. So we need to hold both of them together. And to do this, and this is what I found the hardest in my practice, is being an empath, I have a really hard time. I know this is a problem for most people, but I think even more, I have a really hard time concentrating. So when I got into the, the concentration, the shamatha practices, I felt like... Being that there's so much going on in high sensitivity levels, I move around a lot. I move around a lot in life. I like new things. I like to change. I like this. And highly sensitive people have a really hard time with mental stabilization. For stabilizing the mind really clearly long enough to see truth. So we need to hold what's arising and the flashlight of our mind has to stay focused and concentrated like samadhi, single point in concentration, samadhi practices, long enough to see the true nature of it. But impasse bounce around a lot. We're just riding the waves, and there's a lot of waves. Right? So wisdom is through learning, contemplation, and meditation. Learning, contemplation, meditation. We learn the Dharma. We learn from qualified teachers, learn the Dharma. We contemplate. And then we meditate. And meditate, we get the insight into the actual, authentic nature of things. It's an interesting time here because 
when the when the teachers from the east came, they saw really quickly that we're really good at the learning and contemplating, learning and thinking. In the west, we're really good at that part. So they emphasized meditation very strongly because we're not that good at stopping. You know, we love everything about spirituality and meditation except meditating. <laughs> like everything else. It's so cool. But the actual stopping and meditating is problematic. But actually what's interesting now is because meditation is becoming so popular and like the app, app meditators, there's nothing wrong with just this, but the app meditations and stuff. Now... I'm seeing it's almost the opposite. We're not getting a lot of dharma. Mm -hmm. We're not getting a lot of like true authentic dharma, a lot of contemplation. Now we're just getting the sitting, but the intention and the motivation um, is being lost. So it's, 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 it's a quite interesting how it's, how it's shifting a little bit. So for wisdom, we need, we need all three of these. So for impasse, these three things, studying, like learning, studying the Dharma. The Dharma on its own is nothing. You have to make sure it resonates with you on every level. So this is the thinking. Does this make sense? Is this completely ridiculous? It has to make sense to you. And it has to make sense on every level. It's not a belief. You know, it has to actually make sense. It's not just arbitrary belief. It has to make sense on the mundane level, ultimate level. Make sense? And then we need to meditate. But if you feel this empathic qualities, the way in which you meditate is much different. It has to be short at first, but very focused. Short time, many times, drip by drip fills the cup. And this is just, I mean, I shouldn't say this globally. This is my experience. <clears throat> If you sit down for 20, 30, 40 minutes and then try to maintain really strong concentration for that amount of time, it's going to be very difficult. So I'm going to go through a practice. It's, like, it's called like a 3-1 practice. 3-1, 3-1, 3-1. We're going to meditate for three minutes. We're going to rest in objectless shamatha, just resting in awareness for a minute. Then we're going to go back to object. For three minutes. And I go back and rest for one minute. So three or four rounds of this is a really good meditation. And it's very, very, very good to develop focus, stable mind. So let's see. <laughs> three minutes. Yes. Concentration. I'm going to lead it. Oh, you're going to lead it. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so, and it's good to pick an object that is very, very, very precise. The best, the best object for impasse is an external object to begin with. We're not going to do that. This is, technically it's, it's external, but I'm talking external outside of your body. If you have a little statue, like a little Buddha, a little Krishna, a little Ganesh, a little Christ, a little Mother Mary, something that's outside because it's very tangible, very, very uh, external, which is strong and grounding. But um, 
being that in a group, it's really hard to do that. So on the inhalation, we're going to focus on the left nostril. On the inhalation, you're going to focus on the left nostril and the sensations caused by the movement of breath at the left nostril on the inhalation. On the exhalation, and, and you don't need to do like the pranayama. You don't need it if you don't want to. On the, on the exhalation, it's the right nostril. And then, of course, being aware of the pauses in between. So when I, when I start counting, we're going to set the timer for three minutes. And just put the totality of your awareness there. And then we're going to rest in object list. So this is just resting. Just be aware of the present moment. Call this awareing or being aware of awareness, but just aware of the present moment. If your breath rises, whatever, but just relax. Relax your awareness, not on any one thing. And that'll be for a minute, and then we're going to start up again. Okay, everyone's in a comfortable seat, comfortable enough for three minutes or so. We're going to go to do this a few rounds, actually. So, ready? All right. So, on the inhalation, focusing on the left nostril at your own pace. And not to worry about the length of the breath so much. Just a natural breath is fine. Noticing the pauses of the breath. and the right nostril on the exhalation.
So allowing the eyes to open and just resting in awareness. So you're still holding on to your mindfulness of the present moment. And your eyes don't actually have to be open. You can just keep them closed too. So as we move into the next three-minute period, you can renew your commitment. It's only three minutes, three minutes of your life. So just see how focused. And it takes effort to be effortless. So just in a few seconds here, and go ahead and begin the next three minutes.
And so moving back into just neutral awareness. So being aware of awareness. And don't forget about the kindness. When the mind wanders, always bringing the mind back with kindness. We need the resistance of the mind. We need the mind to wander, like lifting a weight. You need the resistance to build the muscle. Building the muscle of concentration and mindfulness and needs the resistance of a wandering mind. So renewing your commitment, coming into full focus every moment of every breath with the sensations moving through either the left or right nostril, being aware of the pauses of the inhalation and exhalation.
So we're actually releasing the entire meditation, no need to be aware of awareness. Just coming back, coming back. Alright, so you could be able to share. Bye bye. Yeah, so I'd love to for us to be able to get feedback from each other, um, anything that came up for you uh, talk-wise or how that meditation was uh, for you. For me being up here, um, I'm not like a therapist because we get into into this kind of a thing. And I work at a depression and anxiety clinic and I work with psychiatrists and, and psychologists and therapists and whatnot. And so what I will focus on and what I have felt has helped is not worrying about the labels of dependency and, and you know codependency and, and empath and whatnot because I, I was mentioning like what's yours is not yours it's what is arising in this moment and how do you work with it so it doesn't matter why it's and again that might be for a different thing of why it's arising like your habitual patterns and why it's arising but the insight to all the patterns is in that too so just the you know love the one you're with just the the moment that's arising it's just that. And then uh, where it came from and on all that stuff, it, it, there's so much on top of that, up mm -hmm. here, on top of this. Mm -hmm. So the wisdom comes with just, what is that? Even even if you think you definitely know where it came from, you know, like if you just had an argument with somebody, but is that is that anger? Is that ancient anger? Or is that anger just from this moment? Like, how do we know? It doesn't really matter. Do you know that anger? Do you really know? Just move into that. What is that? What is that? Yeah. So I, I kind of stay in my lane in that way. So I don't really know. But I would just invite you to maybe try that one on and just see. Like just, yeah. I have another similar question. <clears throat> like I feel like I can grasp the wisdom part of like seeing someone suffering and realizing you know that's something that's kind of up for them and sort of having that uh, some distant compassion for it but when you the part that you said before about the help anyway like I sometimes I get a little tripped up like around skillful compassion because yeah. sometimes I'm like well that's your thing and I respect your process it's all good yeah. see you later <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm out. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so, yeah. like, the help anyway, like, I want to know how to sort of be present for someone suffering, not getting involved in it in a way that's not skillful or helpful, but not also splitting. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, passionate non-attachment. Um, and it's more of a happening. Like, the compassion, like, true, true compassion isn't conceptual. We develop relative bodhicitta and then ultimate bodhicitta. So on a relative level, we need to cultivate kindness. And compassion and kindness are a skill that we cultivate until we recognize that that is what we are. And it becomes, it's a spontaneous act that we cannot not do. So there's no more choice at some point. There's no more choice to help or not to help. It's not a choice. Because there's no difference anymore. Like... There's just, you just have to. There's no difference between self and other. 
and you have self-compassion, you have compassion for others. And so in the, in the meantime, we make this decision every day. Who are we going to call? Who are we going to reach out to? Like, we're, we're doing this. But um, we just do the best that we can. Do the best that we can. Just, just use your discernment. And the more that we work every day on do our loving kindness, our meta practices, and develop the heart, and we develop the wisdom, it becomes more, more cohesive. You know? And I think part of the time that we resist is that we, we can't, it actually hurts. You know, part of the reason that we say that's your thing and whatnot, and I mean, because it hurts. Because I, I have an inability to help you, to help you while not hurting myself. Mm-hmm. You know? So the, our ability to be able to hold all of that, when we, when we know what's arising within ourselves, allows us to do that. Like, it's okay. Like, hurting's all right. There's no problem with hurting. I'm going to hurt and be with you. I'm going to hurt with you. You know? Yeah? Just quick. Um, <clears throat> my own experience, too, that sometimes there's fear and, and lack of trust in, in being able to help or doing the right, quote-unquote, right thing to help. So I think that's like what you were talking about, like with the practicing over and over again. And then just like the, the right action comes eventually. That's what I think. I'm not saying that's true for me. But I think that there's fear in, well, what is the right skillful action? Because for every single person, it's different. Mm-hmm. Not everybody feels comfortable with the same type of help. Yeah? Mm-hmm. So that trusting like in the cell, in, the, you know, in, in our being, that, okay, what we're doing is, this is the right action. Because over and over, the practice, the practice, the practice, and then it just comes naturally in that moment whatever is the most like right and skillful action for that for that individual mm-hmm. or group of people yeah i heard Sokni Rinpoche give a good example of that because we can get caught up with we can get caught up conceptually with what is skillful and, and whatnot and he tells a story that he was in india and he had just left a talk and there was a lot of sangha around and this boy came up and started washing his window and then asking for money. And he thought, wow, you know, if I give him money, I don't want to be like that guy who's like, I'm so, you know, generous and I'm going to give money and, you know, all this stuff. He said, I just, you know, that came to mind because all these people, he felt he's being watched. And so, of course, he's being watched. He's going to be extra kind and, and all this stuff. And, and then they're going to think he's being kind because he's being watched. And he's watching all that happen. And he's like, oh, just give him money. You know what I mean? Just do the right. Just give them money. You know, like, so sometimes we get caught up. And at the end of the day, it's like, oh, just do do something. <laughs> you know, it's like, just do something. Do the pick. The, your, you use your wisdom, the best wisdom at the time. Right. And be compassionate mm-hmm. as you can at the time. And just do something. Yeah. Yeah, as a therapist, I always found that I was much more in tune with what my patients needed uh, and what was skillful in the moment when I wasn't caught in my own thinking. And yeah. the ability to just, you know, sit. And on those days that, that or weeks that I had really good sittings, that was the time when, when it seemed like I was most compassionate and most skillful in, in mm. helping people. Wonderful. Thank you.
thought the format of this meditation felt like working out. Um, three, three minutes of work, one minute of rest, and, it, and even the way that you were um, were guiding, like prepare for the next repetition, mm -hmm. you know, and and that was um, it was an it was just a different approach than mm -hmm. to just sit for thirty minutes and not not feel like you're zooming in and then zooming out. Mm -hmm. It was like CrossFit. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I feel like I, I think I've I feel like I've been saying this a lot, but I don't know with different talks or to, to you or whatnot, but I really feel like it's problematic actually in, in the West that we do a lot of half ass meditations. Um, that we sit, we check it off the list, we say, well, yeah, well, well kinda of meditate, whatever and then like, you know, ten years goes by and you're like kinda of meditating. But you know, like the Buddha would say every day you gotta sharpen your mind, like like a samurai sharpens a sword. And this is not just for the moment of meditation. We're training the mind to be, to, to have a certain function of stability. And I call this the concentration barrier, barrier where people are not getting over the concentration barrier because they're kind of jumping around. And, and the meditations, if just if, even that three minutes, how long did that three minutes feel? Did it feel, I mean, did it feel short or long or long, right? Short. But you see like the intensity, when you throttle up the intensity, you really get to notice, if you're like most of us, how the crazy monkey mind is, right? For three minutes and you're very intense for that three minutes, you notice, man, my mind is really out of control because it's difficult. It's really hard to bring it back. So we see an untrained mind. Remember, all the things that we're learning is support for a stable mind. That's why we learn loving kindness. That's why we learn generosity. That's why we learn patience. That's why we learn all the other things that are in support of how do you get a stable mind. That's the object, a stable mind, to see the truth of our own nature. You can see the truth of anything. We're turning it on ourselves, right? But without a stable mind, it's just going to keep bouncing around. You know? So I really, you know, act... Uh, I really promote these types of short time but very intense meditations because I just see we're lacking there in the concentration mm -hmm. thing. Myself included. See my crazy mind. It's really difficult to tolerate the discomfort, isn't it? And at the root of it is, you know, you've got to feel the burn or you've got to tolerate mm -hmm. the discomfort or sitting with someone in pain. Mm -hmm. And yeah. it seems that it's so easy to try to fix it for somebody. Mm -hmm. I've often thought how often we try to say, oh, don't cry, and we think we're being helpful, mm. instead mm. of just tolerating and being with, and knowing when we are in too deep and not taking care of ourselves. But I mean, just sitting with is the hardest part. Mm. It's three minutes sitting with it. My nose starts running. I start coughing. You know, yeah. something's mm. going to pop up. and instead of just being able to sit with the, get, be there, really, to get through mm -hmm. it. And to get through mm -hmm. it, I would say get to know it, mm -hmm. you know, because, right. um, like, we might tolerate somebody until we get to know them, and they'd be like, hey, they're, they're all right. <laughs> you well, know? That's a, that, that meaning of toleration instead of, yes, being. Yeah, I mean, but you're right. Which is a really good point, because tolerate sounds like you really don't, you really hate being there. Instead yeah. of just feeling the discomfort. 
Right, and which which it is, we are tolerating it until because we're practicing until we get comfortable in being uncomfortable. Well, tolerant. Well, okay. I mean, it's sort of a semantic, but tolerance doesn't just mean. Really. I get you. Yeah. I know what you're saying. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Just a couple more because we're running out of time. Casey, I was just wondering. I just really noticed. Bonnie, some, then Bonnie. Sorry, Bonnie. <laughs> Bonnie, Bonnie. I just noticed it's some striving. I was wondering, am I getting this into the left nostril exactly? I think I feel the right nostril too. But, and I'm really concerned about I'm not doing it right. And that was, what am I supposed to do with that? Great insight Yeah. This is a very, because we talk about a lot about non-striving. But like I mentioned, it takes effort to become effortless. And this is a very striving-oriented practice. And it's okay. The conceptual stuff of, of like when we talk to ourselves about the meditation that we're having, that dialogue, that dialogue runs out after a while with practice. If you keep doing a practice, right when you start it, you're going to have a dialogue about how am I doing it and is my breath just right and all this stuff. That's very, very common. It'll wear itself out through practice. If you just keep practicing, 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 you just you start focusing on that and that becomes your focus. Um, so it's just a new practice for you because I know you meditate yeah. a lot on some other ones. So this is a new one. Yeah. So no worries. I would just keep doing it. And know that this is effortful for sure. Hmm. Effortless. Effortfulness. <laughs> Making up words. <laughs> Making them up. I just want to say yesterday was such a beautiful example of sitting with something that's uncomfortable. Uh, the young woman... I think her last name is Rodriguez, that um, was speaking at the march. And she was silent mm -hmm. for so long. And to see what happened among mm. the people, some had the need to chant, some had to, you know, just sat there and broke down. It was just really mm. poignant um, uh, sitting with discomfort. I just thought it was mm -hmm. quite a, a statement. It was the length of time that it took them to shoot right. the seven piece right. six and a half minutes. But people didn't know that while they were sitting there. That's with right. both her discomfort, their own discomfort. It was just uh, it was just interesting that you were talking about sitting Wonderful. Great example. Thank you. So let's just end we'll just sit for a couple minutes. And maybe let's just dedicate the merit. Practice. So just thinking of all of our brothers and sisters that couldn't be here with us as all beings. And maybe thinking of all the, all the love and compassion and wisdom that came out of all those marches yesterday. All the intention, this intention for wanting this safety and the happiness our fellow human beings. So just taking all of that, and thinking about all beings everywhere, meditation and Sangha, they're luxuries. Some people are just trying to survive today. So thinking of all the unfortunate ones and being able to send this loving kindness to them, we're all connected that somehow, some way, they're feeling this. And they're benefiting. May all beings without exception, may all beings be happy and free from suffering.
You have just listened to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.